so 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 Sam, I I do have a a somewhat uh, facetious uh, comment. Uh, something something. Uh, you know, a, a man cannot be unequally yoked. Um, uh, you 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 cannot serve both God and um, uh, Pope. I should have said uh, you cannot serve both God and, and Patriot. Um, Not as oh, that doesn't rhyme, making it less right. Okay, yes, but how how do you deal with the uh, Ukraine-Russia split? Hmm? Hmm? Uh, you wait for them to, to hash it out, and eventually they will, or they'll just kind of forget it ever happened. Well, if, if Orthodox priests would stop uh, using holy water on uh, Russian <laughs> intelligence equipment, maybe True. they would stop messing with our elections. Ru- uh, Russian intelligence equipment, that's a very benign way of saying nuclear weapons. Yes, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But fun fact, I actually found out there is a patron saint of Russian nuclear weapons, uh, Saint that's- Seraphim. What is his deal? And I have no idea. Can like, we make he was... this into a Call of Cthulhu game? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like... I'm, I'm literally writing this down. <laughs> I'm looking like, it up. I, I, I read his uh, his Wikipedia page. Like, super great guy. Like, it actually fostered a lot of, um, I think, dialogue uh, with Orthodoxy and other denominations. Um, like, essentially a very holy man, but for some reason he became... What's his name again? Uh, Saint Seraphim Saint of Zaraphim. Saint Seraphim devoted his life to peace. Now he prays for final peace, eternal peace. The Pax <laughs> Romana. Peace through, through force. Pax Nuclearana, more mm. like. Yeah, he wouldn't be Nuclearana. praying for... Po- he wouldn't be praying for Pax Romana. That's too close to the Catholic Church. Oh, burn, burn, Roman burn. Catholic? Hey, hey. <laughs> um, damn it. You get started. Uh, now, now, one thing. Um, so, four days ago, um, a committee of ecclesial law in the Orthodox Church convened in Moscow and actually debated, began debating, ending the blessing of nuclear weapons. So, um, Brevin, progress. Uh, progress. Well, okay. <laughs> wow, yeah. Th- th- I'm just looking at this, too. That's that's actually so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes time. Like, you know how many Orthodox priests it takes to change the light bulb, right? What did he do? Change? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Saint Seraphim wouldn't have consented to this. I feel like there's no way. It's it's just because his saint name it means fiery or burning. Like this isn't his fault. Seraphim are fiery angels with the power to purify the sinful. So purifying fire from well, heaven equals... It'll purify nice. the land real good. Uh, this is seriously a, a Call of Cthulhu campaign, actually. Absolutely. Um, His yeah, okay. relics were launched into space in October 19, 2000. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Please Attached make this Call of some, Cthulhu. Uh, to some... Um, uh, Russian like intelligence targeting platforms. That would why be would you, the actual wh- most epic thing. Why would you launch somebody's relics into space? Saint Seraphim. Ro- Got to rain ro- down fury, purify the earth. The Orthodox are weird, man. I know like- that. <laughs> man. Okay, so so like for their cool space nuke project, uh, the Russians get a patron saint named Seraphim, burning angel <laughs> death, and then we just get like, hey, what if we called it Star Wars? Reagan said, and we're all like, that works. Well, I mean, we named it after our patron saint too. We truly are a godless nation. That's all that proves. Why couldn't we name our our missile platforms like oh yes this is the billy graham platform down to 
spread revival of flame. <laughs> anyway, He's know. calling down tongues from uh, from heaven, flaming tongues, tongues from heaven. Yep, yep. It's Pentecost forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Pentecost, but it ignites the atmosphere. Oh, have you guys seen the uh, the uh, YouTube video where they uh, put uh, "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor" music over the the one like charismatic uh, uh, dude that's like mass uh, mass slaying people in the spirit? Uh, let's let's say no. Let's say you put that in the chat right now, and then this will definitely go in the podcast. Oh, absolutely! Here, Please. here we go. Okay, Thanks. and on that note, speaking about a podcast. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to The Problem with Reading. Uh, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. I'm Sam. And I don't know how much of the preceding conversation you will hear, um, but rest assured it involved uh, Saint Seraphim, the patron saint of nuclear weapons, nucle- nuclear weapons, um, and lots of Orthodox versus Catholic stuff, and uh, Billy Graham is a missile platform now. A- a- anyway, it was all, it was all very good. Uh, but Sam, uh, how, are, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm uh, living the life. Mm-hmm. Doing fine. Which life? Mine. Oh, okay. I think. I hope so. <laughs> There's no way to ever know. Just got to live Ready? your life, man, you know? Is so, it my life? It's my life. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, Dan, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? I don't know. Am I an individual or am I just saluting myself to the... Um, Hey, Sam, something what, modern project, what, Nietzsche. What, uh, what great character man. are you inhabiting? Are you the bureaucratic manager or perhaps mm. the consummate estate? What are you? Oh, I'm the bureaucratic manager. I, I work in two bureaucracies at once. So it's like, Samson. oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Straight bureaucratic mm. manager. Yeah. Break those chains, Sam. All right. Uh, Steven, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, although I'm a little disappointed that Sam didn't catch my swip, switch foot reference. So, you know, there's that. Um, man, but there's uh, still a thing. I, I, I get I their know, ads on I Facebook. Just, but I, I just listened. In years. I started listening to their uh, their latest album, 2018. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's it's quite good. I, surprisingly good. So, what was the album with Dark Horses that was kind of like more like uh, Vice Versus? Vice Versus. That was the last one that I liked, and then the one after that was like kind of Beach Boysy, and I didn't uh, like that Fading at all. West. Yeah, Fading West. I wasn't a huge fan. This uh, just a sec, let me. And then I've I haven't listened since. Now I listen to um, basically parody songs on YouTube and just play them on repeat for six hours a day in the background of whatever I'm doing. As you um, should. Ansley is concerned. She thinks my aesthetic is parody music, which is probably true. It's very ironic true. and postmodern. David Foster Wallace would be ashamed of you. Hey, I am just <laughs> embracing the absurdity or something like your existentialist that you like so much. I mean, yeah, but I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All of the bars coming out today. <laughs> well, McIntyre's over. No more civil discussion. It's, <laughs> it's the end of McIntyre. Like, what's going to hold us together? Nothing, I mean, this, this is it. This was our common narrative, guys. After this, we all only, we only have rights-based language. We know how far that gets you. In our fictions. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but for real. Uh, okay, never mind. But, uh, oh, but yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. The, the album is Native Tongue. Native Tongue. Yeah, quite good. Mm-hmm. Would Isn't recommend. that a... Uh, oh, damn. What's that other band? Or No, it's just called Native. Um, da, 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 American something. American authors? This. Yeah, nope, definitely not. American Native album, Native by One Republic. It's a One Republic album. That was a good Ew, one. Actually. Gross. Excuse you. I um, I don't know. Like I saw an, a One Republican concert once, and they're just the guy just struck me as just the biggest. Just I don't know. Uh, what's a good word for someone who's full of themselves? Uh, imbecile. Uh, yeah, pompous that. imbecile. 
Perfect. Anyway. Oh, that, that was a lot well, of good material right there. We're good. We're done here. Let's just sign <laughs> off, boys. <laughs> we, are, we are really not 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 talking about a whole lot. Uh, but uh, uh, in keeping with tradition, which is supremely important, as we know, um, mm-hmm. let us move on to the next practice and ask uh, Stephen, what are you drinking right now? Uh, I'm glad you asked. I'm drinking the last of my homebrew, uh, a raspberry stout. It nice. Is, uh, it is quite good. Yeah. Although That's... it's it's unfortunate. This particular one, we uh, we tried doing a secondary fermentation uh, to get the raspberry taste in. And so we dumped in a bunch of frozen raspberries and it got the taste in really good. But unfortunately, we didn't consider that we might need to filter all the raspberries out. <laughs> <laughs> and so it has like a bunch of just like really, really old soaked raspberry chunks left in it and so honestly so it you tastes, have like a beer smoothie i was about to say that <laughs> like we got given the way you the way you siphon stuff out um it avoided most of it but inevitably some stuff gets through and i'm drinking like the last of it which means that's where most of the stuff is through so yeah there's like a nice little layer on top of just like raspberry scum raspberry. yeah it's pretty <laughs> it, it doesn't taste bad it just feels really weird drinking it and on the whole i i would rather be without that nice how about you sam what are you drinking right now um tap water nice good old seattle tap water how i miss it yeah it's good it's good stuff better is it better than boston tap water uh probably i mean everything on the east coast is kind of old and terrible so yeah doesn't boston tap water taste like the mafia and catholicism and sam adams ah yeah yeah well that that is a good point it it tastes like sam adams without all the good stuff yeah like what yeah really really bad sam adams yes yes yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) it's like sam adams but what if it didn't taste like beer and also was an alcoholic (laughs) anyway um so uh for for myself i'm not drinking anything currently i am I'm, i'm parched uh as it were uh, but earlier, I did have a lovely margarita made with stuff from Trader Joe's, uh, which was delicious. Uh, plus, we added a little bit of uh, blackberry wine to it, which just Ooh. gave it this lovely, summery, fruity flavor, um, in addition to the lovely margarita tang. And I made a nice uh, rim of salt with uh, pink Himalayan salt, uh, not out of any like aesthetic things. It was just, uh, we don't have any like chunky salt crystals besides that. So anyway, it turned out very well. Nicely done. Yeah. All right. And uh, with that, I believe we do move on to McIntyre chapter 18. Um, This is it, everyone. This is it. There is a chapter 19 that's kind of a postscript, and there's not a whole lot of new material there. It's mostly just him responding to objections. So I'll probably just do this and then call it it good. Although I I, I did read chapter 19 for the record. Ooh, I still need to read chapter 19. I totally forgot that it was there. We also need. We also need to go over the bibliography and index. We need to have the special chapter. Right, we were going to have an episode that. on that. That's true. Let's see if we can squeeze that in before uh, uh, Sam runs off to to England to marry absolutely to, to Bonnie England uh, to to go to Oxford. Yes, yeah, where, where he'll learn how to be better than all of us. He'll come back wearing breeches and high socks and like a cravat. It'll be great. It's gonna be great. <laughs> and tweed, lots of tweed. Lots of tweed, like <laughs> cravat. Actually, <laughs> what even is a cravat? I, don't... I actually have no idea. I it's like a precursor so I to a good. tie. Just look it up while I do the summary because you guys should know what this is. All right. Uh, and oh by the dear way, God! I basically. Oh wow! What? Don't look, wear that, Sam. Don't do that. <laughs> actually, can one of you guys search tweed cravat? And if it exists, <laughs> we will put it as the picture for this episode. Okay. Now, I love the internet. 
be quiet. I'm going to do this. Okay, so I stole this mostly from somewhere else, um, so uh, I didn't really write this, so no credit to me, but here's the summary of Chapter 18. Uh, McIntyre returns to the question that he posed in Chapter 9, which is, uh, in light of the moral disorder that we practice uh, today, uh, which of the two logical alternatives we can accept? Uh, there's either Nietzsche's option, which is to just burn it all down, it's all bad, which is true, it, it is all bad, but need we burn it all down? And the other alternative is Aristotle. McIntyre argues that the cogency of Nietzsche's rejection of contemporary moral values, quote, did not necessarily extend to the earliest Aristotelian tradition, end quote, which differed crucially in its placement of rules within a larger scheme of virtues. So essentially, early Aristotelian tradition escapes the problems that everything that came after it uh, falls into, which is why we can go with Aristotle instead of Nietzsche. So on the contrary, quote, against that tradition, the Nietzschean polemic is completely unsuccessful, end quote, because of the success of the rational case for a moral tradition outlined in chapters 14 and 15. Nietzsche's claim rests on the figure of the Ubermensch, or the great man, who recognizes that moral language is a mask for the will to power and in fact has no objective authority, and thus decides to eschew human relationships and transcend the social world and only to dictate his moral law. Um, and, and he writes about this in very moving terms and how the Ubermensch is entirely alone. He has no relationships. And that, in fact, is the mistake that causes us to know that it's an untenable philosophy and, and false in terms of human uh, ontology or whatever. Uh, so McIntyre argues that in light of his account of the virtues, uh, quote, it is the isolation and, self-absor- and self-absorption of the Ubermensch which thrusts upon him the burden of being his own self-sufficient moral authority, end quote. So not only does Nietzsche's argument fail against the Aristotelian tradition, but it, it is in fact from that perspective that we can best understand the mistakes of the Nietzschean position. So the concept of the great man actually just represents a further extension of individualism. It's the, quote, final attempt to escape from its own consequences, end quote. The core debate is between individualism and Aristotelianism. And the differences between these extend to the understanding of human action itself. And McIntyre reiterates his conclusion that centuries of effort have failed to provide any rational and defensible statement of a liberal individualist point of view, while, quote, the Aristotelian tradition can be restated in a way that restores the intelligibility and rationality to our moral and social attitudes and commitments, end quote. He then goes into a couple potential objections or weaknesses of the argument, but I'm going to focus on what he talks about uh, the Marxists, which is the tradition that he came from. And he says that that Marxists uh, contend that the key moral conflict of our age is between liberal individualism and some version of Marxism. But McIntyre argues that this is actually mistaken because when uh, Marx, uh, Marxists are pushed one level back, they always fall into, quote, relatively straightforward versions of Kantianism or utilitarianism, end quote. Furthermore, whenever they gained power, they either became Weberians, you know, sort of the bureaucratic types like Trotsky, or Nietzscheans like Lenin and he, uh, and, you know, sort of more burn stuff down. Uh, he thus argues quote, not only that Marxism is exhausted as a political tradition, but that this exhaustion is shared by every other political tradition within our culture, end quote. And he concludes by noting that despite the danger of drawing precise parallels between historical periods, there is one to be drawn between our modern period and that which the Roman Empire declined into the Dark Ages. One crucial turning point of that period was when people ceased to contribute to the good of the state and, quote, ceased to identify the continuation of civility and moral community with the maintenance of the state, end quote. They turned instead to constructing communities in which moral life could be sustained. And he says that we've reached this turning point, that we have to start building these moral communities where moral life can be sustained and intellectual life is, because the dark ages are here. And he, and he ends with this great 
uh, quote, upcoming. Uh, he maintains that the success of that effort through the Dark Ages teaches us that there is ground for hope, but that, and the final quote, quote, this time, however, the barbarians are not waiting beyond the frontiers. They have already been governing us for quite some time, and it is our lack of consciousness of this that constitutes part of our predicament. We are not waiting for a Godot, but for another, doubtless very different, St. Benedict, end quote. And I think if there's one thing that we can all agree on is that the St. Benedict of our time finally come is President Donald Trump. Here, here, absolutely. That is, uh, that is a very false, false thing to say. Are you seriously <laughs> going to end this entire seven-month <laughs> excursion Seven like months. that? <laughs> I was getting all sentimental I, in the back of my head of like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, St. Benedict. Okay, Brevin, wrap it up. Take us home. It's going to be great. Wait, what? <laughs> I could just hear Sam, like, brain shut off for two seconds. And say, <laughs> I comprehend what I just said. I am completely kidding. I was, I was like, oh, man, my, that was, I kid you not, my, my jaw hit my desk in just shock that you ended like that, you monster. <laughs> you actually blacked out for like three seconds. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have my problems with Benedict, but, oh, <laughs> no. Also, again, David Foster Wallace is very disappointed in you for ironizing a particularly wonderful uh, uh, moment. I, there, I said it, I don't care. I, you know, I, 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 I got to stick with it. Like third time today already. He's back. I'm disappointed. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I guess there's no way that I can take that moment back, huh? You can. <laughs> you, you could. You, you could. You could delete it and post. It's. It's true. I could edit it, <laughs> but will I? Will no. I? <laughs> no, not I going won't. to. He's not going right, to do uh, that, is he? All. All. All jokes aside, I have some comments. Obviously, some. Some. Some commentary that's less substantive and more uh, social in nature. But Sam, what are. What are your thoughts, having reached the end of this long? Uh, I, need, I need a minute. Okay, uh, Stephen. I'll try to buy you some time, Sam. I'm I'm still processing everything. I'm still trying to just kind of you know get my grips together. But I'll see what I what I can do. So first, I I I do like how he ends on a grim note, but not an entirely despairing note. Um, it is it, potentially a, a bit of a dramatic flair to say kind of the barbarians are running, but or running the show. But I don't I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I mean, three centuries of conducting ethical dialogues in a particular way that is completely completely uh antithetical to the way ethics should be talked about that that leaves its mark and i don't think he's wrong when he says like this this is causing us to not be able to have these really important ethical discussions and therefore if mine's as brilliant as jane austen and what's his face uh weren't able to push society back into having ethics in the proper context kind of what hope have we and as kind of stated in the previous chapter i think in the previous couple of chapters a a a softer retreat is needed to kind of form intentional communities to be able to carry those on until society is ready to receive it back kind of a grass a grassroots movement is needed not a top-down approach because a top-down approach will just simply never happen so i think one common critique of a lot of philosophy is that it just has no real world basis there's no you know, it's just a bunch of people kind of sitting in armchairs, smoking their pipes, jawing about, you know, abstract things. But this is a very practical, like, no, we need to form these communities. Otherwise, it's only going to get worse. And I think McIntyre would look around now. In fact, I mean, he does uh, at the at least at the conference. And he says, like, yeah, I told you guys, this is how bad it is. 
So okay. That's my hot take. I, I think it's a very apt uh, description and prescription. So I have a specific question for Steven. Um, but before we do that, Sam, it's your soapbox. Yeah, I've got a few points. Um, first of all, I totally agree with Steven when you're talking about how a grassroots move, movement is necessary. And that's kind of been my wrestling point with McIntyre this entire book is he brings up Aristotle and I'm sorry, but I still have trouble conceptualizing Aristotle in the modern age and what it would mean to entirely form these communities. I think that in order to solve the problems he's identified, you need to you need to make a change. You need to make a you, you need to restrict yourself in some way. You need to pull off in those communities. But I'm still unclear on exactly what they look like, and maybe I just need to read Saint ben, the Rule of Saint Benedict again, and maybe that will show it to me. But I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not convinced that he does the full practical work needed to show exactly what those communities look like. In addition to that, there is a community that tried to do this. Granted, it wasn't deferring to Aristotle, but they were deferring to at least an interpretation of um, Christianity, and that was the evangelicals in the in the seventies. That entire cultural movement of of cutting off. And while I think that they lacked <clears throat> some of the basis that McIntyre would like them to have. I, I fail to see why the consequences that we saw from that mean that they just became so totally detached from society that they were unable to become agents of any kind of change in that truth and, and even God uh, from time to time. So I guess I, I, I'm worried from a practical standpoint that by cutting off, and this might be my inner evangelical coming out, a community trying to emulate St. Benedict might lose the ability to even speak to that other side and engage in any way with them, and therefore even in pulling back and waiting for a while before bringing it back into the world, they might not be able to bring it back into the world whatsoever. Mm. And so I, I just worry about that a little bit, and I, I worry that when we've seen communities cut off like this, they often come into the world either doing nothing, they fall back into even worse things, or they do very worse things for themselves, or they do bad things for the world. So there's that hesitation uh, for me. But one positive point is I really love his attack on Marx, and not just because, shockingly, I'm not a huge fan of Marx, but I like his method that he employs um, with peeling the layers back. I'm not sure if he's... He, did he talk about Marx earlier in this book before here? Like, he's talked about way? Marx quite a bit. He's talked about Marx a bit. Okay, I, th I thought he had. Um, I, I was mixing this up with other his other book that I was skimming through. But I love the method that he uses here where he you know, looks at Marx, and Marx, in our modern age especially, is seen as kind of almost a prophetic figure. And, and seen as somebody who gives a narrative that we can live into. And I like how when he peels the layers back, he's able to defer to it, or he's able to show how it's just deferring to all these different manifestations of the modern experiment. I think that it was more interesting for me than his attack on the American society, because American society doesn't even have any layers to peel back. It's just, there's not there's nothing there. And Marx, he, there's, there's, a, there's a bit... I think there's a little bit more sophistication that it was. It's very fun to see him kind of pick apart. So that's my take. I like it. I'm this, and I, I'm just. It's the same thing I've been repeating this entire time. I'm not. I'm not fully sure what it would look like to do that, and I'm not sure if it would be entirely successful. I'm not sure if the Aristotelian project can be fully restarted in the way that is necessary in order to save us from the problems that he has so clearly articulated. So, so let me uh, uh, try to act as a good. Uh, host slash moderator here and ask a question of Stephen that will then pivot over to Sam. 
So, Stephen, as far as I know, you're the only one of us three who has actually read the Benedict Option, Rod Dreher's book expounding uh, yes, on expounding on this this concept, you know, sort of stolen from from McIntyre, probably. Uh, I was going to say in many ways, but probably just in the one way that it is definitely stolen from McIntyre. So in reading that book, did you see, sort of in answer to, to Sam's question, did you see an example of how this could be done or how it has been done? Like, is there an option in, you know, the mind of Rod Dreher to Sam's query? There is. Unfortunately, he. this was, I think my biggest critique of the book would be he did not do enough practical pra- practical approaches. He he sketched out some of the why this is necessary, um, going at it from more of a religious perspective rather than an ethical or philosophical one. And then he provided one or, or not one or two. I think he provided like three or four examples of Christian communities attempting it. Um, generally, I think he would somewhat escape Sam's critique of the uh, noting the evangelicals in the seventies. Um, in that he. He did desire the Christians pursuing this Benedict option. He did encourage, like, do not seal yourself off from the world. That's not what this is about. Um, this is a, I'm not sure if you use the language of narrative, but it was more of a, you want to give yourself a certain narrative to live your community in, but you, it has to be a porous community. It has to be one that you can go out into the world. You can come into the world. In fact, he had a, um, I think one of the few examples I actually really distinctly remember, he was interviewing um, the daughter of a family who at least attempted something like this. Um, and the daughter had actually completely burned out and uh, became an atheist afterwards um, and said, like, look, it just becomes you become so closed and so kind of anti-world that you just kind of go nuts um, and said that, like, her siblings had she was the oldest and her siblings were starting to demonstrate um Uh, kind of like similar patterns and she she said like look i encourage like i wish you best with this i i hope it works out for you but please make sure to tell people like you can't be completely closed off otherwise you just kind of lose your way so i think sam's critique is valid and i think there are pushbacks against it um there are kind of encouragements to avoid being completely closed off that said i i really expected more from the from the book if i'm being completely honest and maybe we could have uh uh, kind of a mini episode uh, concerning uh, Rod Dreher's uh, approach to the Benedict Option. Yeah, I mean, what I'd, what I'd say there is, obviously, the Benedict Option manifest is not the evangelical movement. Like, there's a lot of distinction between those two. My concern would more be that when you give kind of a theory and you have a practice, or you have a, a conceptual framework of something that has to be done absolutely, no questions asked, do this, and then people... With, with with egos, with, you know, their own problems attempt to implement it, and they don't have enough practical guidance in doing that, it, it does some pretty nasty things. I, I would agree with you with that. I, I would be interested. So here's my critique on uh, your critique via evangelicals in the 70s, or I think you could actually get even harsher with your critique and, 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 and more uh, poignant by pointing out um, different cults that would, like, completely mm. seal themselves off. Um I think my critique would be with evangelicals in particular, they were probably still operating under a paradigm that was not virtue. Um, not, not to say that they were bad or vicious, but just simply that they weren't going with, you know, McIntyre's conception of virtue ethics. They were probably going with something closer to Kantian or utilitarian. Um, yeah. I think it was more Kantian, honestly. I, I, I think the extension you could throw out with the kind of like some, 
some religious movements that go even further and kind of go to full-on cult mode. I would say that that's just the dark side of monasteries or what have you, and it has to be done very, very carefully. Um, and again, you have to ensure a certain amount of uh, porousness with your intentional communities. Otherwise, yeah, you're just going to turn into an insane cult. So far be it for me to defend evangelicals. Um, you know that I'm that I'm not the type. Um, I would never accuse you of such a thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think so. Even if I accept all of Sam's facts about the '70s evangelical movement as true, which I honestly I have no idea. Um, but when you were talking about them, Sam, you were bringing up things like they haven't had success and they've regressed, and look at the the problems that they've had. Where uh, an argument could be made, one, that a lot of the problems are the same that affect the rest of society in terms of social dissolution or, you know, people leaving the church all across the board, not just the evangelicals, et cetera, et cetera. Just that at least some of the negative effects on, the, on, on them as a group affect every group that attempts some sort of, you know, cohesive ideology and unified movement together. And the second thing is, what does it mean to have success because in one sense if the if you take the evangelical argument at least part of it at face value you know they view themselves as countercultural the culture is bad it's in these various ways um they kind of avoid criticizing it in in other ways um but they feel like they need to build a separate parallel culture to it because there's there's something wrong with it and i don't think any of us would say there's something wrong with culture like that's a statement literally everyone can agree with in one way mm -hmm. or another with an argument like mcintyre and even i would say a less cogent argument like that that evangelicals might make about why the culture is bad and, and why aspects of public society public uh the public square are, are are bad if those are right in some way it does seem like it warrants some kind of action and especially action that cannot be judged by metrics of success in terms of like winning the culture or taking over America or making America all in your form, a lot of it, it would seem, would be more survival mode. Like, it seems like you should do something um, as opposed to just, I am going to go live in my suburban house and take my kids to soccer practice, go to church once a week, and, you know, work till I get my pension and retire. Like, that seems mm -hmm. like an insufficient response. Um, and, you know, a, a cogent, I've used cogent several times, it's a great word, a... Oh, yeah. a a comprehensive response is difficult and obviously dangerous the more comprehensive it is because then you get into more cult-like territory. But I, I guess what I might see in your argument, or, or what I would contend for the sake of argument, is that you seem unwilling to give any ground. Like, you seem paralyzed because you don't know what the right uh, thing to do is. That's an accurate description of, of me in general. So, so. <laughs> I hear you, man. <laughs> Paralyzed, not knowing what to do. No, I, I see what you're saying there. And um and that is the one thing that I I, I really think that McIntyre brings to the table, which is he articulates why the culture is bad. Um he doesn't just and um and it gives a lot more meat behind it than most people who would come before him. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh Sam, have you read a canticle for Leibowitz? I have not. I brought it up a long time ago. You should get it and read it on the plane to England. Um, Ch it's, Chesterton? No, no, no. no. It's, uh, I forget the guy's name. Um, it's a relatively modern one. Relatively. I think yes, it's in yes. what? It's a, it's a sci-fi. 
yeah, it's a sci-fi novel. Um, it's like 1950s. Uh, essentially, it's three short n- novellas, each around a thousand years apart or so. The first one takes place in a post-apocalyptic world. The second one is a new re- is a new Renaissance post-apocalyptic, and the final one is uh, in the in future with uh, future technology in which the apocalypse is happening again. Um, and it all follows these monks at this at this monastery uh, dedicated to Saint Leibowitz, who's who was an engineer during the Great Apocalypse, and he's trying to preserve human knowledge for the betterment of mine of mankind. And it's just sort of a debate about technology and monasticism and reverence and stuff like that. That sounds very interesting. Send me a link to it. I'll, I'll buy it. It, it was par- partially what inspired After Virtue. I think no, he, it, he mentions it in the the prequel yes. or the in, in his his original mcintyre's original sort of thing like imagine a world where everything where all knowledge has been lost and and we only have fragments of texts and we try and reconstruct philosophy that's literally canticle for Leibowitz. he he pulls it right from that but what really strikes me about that book is sort of it it puts into practical perspective i think what mcintyre views the moral landscape and and like i i don't think it would be entirely inaccurate to say that McIntyre is projecting the apocalyptic vision of Canticle for Leibowitz onto modern society and seeing it as a dark age when it isn't quite there yet, something like that. But I would read it because it's it's uh it it, it helps tell you where McIntyre's coming from in terms of I don't know. I, I always describe the book as just a very reverent book. Hmm. Um um yes anyway. I, I would like to read it. It sounds very fascinating. I've been looking yeah. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction recently and I would love to read some something more whimsical i don't yep okay in the sense that it is not economics yes to your point on his exaggerating maybe a little but honestly i mean and maybe maybe it, it, it's always easy to say like oh man times like these they're awful you know no one's talking politics are off i mean politics has been terrible for the last mm-hmm. you know 4,000 years or whatever, but there is something in the kind of political debate sphere. Um, maybe I'm just looking at it from politics, but also, I mean, just in general, philosophical conversations, ethical, political, religious, all of these do seem to be really suffering from a very distinct lack to lack of dialogue. Um, and maybe his diagnosis isn't always, isn't the most accurate. Maybe he is exaggerating a little bit, but honestly, if you ask anyone what ethics is, they will say, "Oh, it's it's discerning right and wrong." And not they're not necessarily wrong, but they're missing a large part of it. It's you know like deter- determining what the best story is and how to best live your life. It, it is much closer to philosophy than people kind of give it credit for. So I don't know. Like uh, it does strike me that he really does have a point that his conception of ethics, the Aristotelian conception of ethics, really is kind of foreign to uh, the general understanding. And that, and that, yeah, like, how do you, I don't, I don't know how to bridge that gap because even for the most interested people in this, like we're still coming from this, this culture that he's critiquing to its core. Like, can we even, because it sounds dramatic, but can we even save ourselves from this, let alone the next generation? I think it would be a very difficult thing to do, certainly, but with the sort of intentional communities he is talking about i think it would be possible um difficult yes and again like i think the word intentional is ironically enough a very intentional one um you couldn't just accidentally slide into it um you'd have to have people that are on the same all on the same page 
probably all living near each other to the point where they can just oh jesus as much as i hate this cliche the the doing life together um Mm -hmm. but like i think that would be what would be required in order to kind of pull what he wants uh or to in order to pull off what he's imagining right now and that that is what rod draher does get into with the bendict option um it's just i wish he expounded upon it a bit more the 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 one other uh bit of uh, fluff that I have on um, McIntyre is I went to a talk down in Rhode Island with uh, Chris actually. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and George Weigel was there of First Things and uh, various mm-hmm. other publications, Ethics and Public Policy Center, I think. Um, but it was him and two other uh, panelists talking about the Benedict Option and its viability. Um, they didn't get nice. into too many de- into too many details, but the absolutely hilarious thing was two of the three panelists both brought up different saints like i don't think we need the benedict option i think we need the theophilus option. <laughs> and it was just like lol you're just all trying to write books you are too late to a good idea my friends mm-hmm. anyway it was it, uh, it was amusing that does sound like a fun talk though that would be fascinating did, did they have any good points like did they have any good ideas oh no no oh uh, mm-hmm. dang it no one knows what to do we're all screwed yep well i mean to be fair like th- and this is I think most of the conversation around the Benedict option is happening from a mostly religious perspective, um, which to an extent makes sense given that it's, you know, related to a monastic that set up monasteries. But I think people are, people are really trying to wrestle with what it means to be Christian in a post-Christian society. And I think that is a very non-trivial dicey topic that you go, you go too far one way, you become a cult, you, go too far the other you fade into non-existence and their moralistic therapeutic deism yep it's almost like our discourse is broken or something something like that uh well mcintyre was great oh. i i would not have read this without you guys um no nor would i i same never would have very very yeah. happy that we that we made it through to the end you're definitely right Stephen. that it it starts off with throwing punches left and right, smacking down people, and then it, and then it does kind of peter out a little bit, kind of lacks the uh, the end punch. I mean, the last line is great, but not exactly a, a, but, a substitute for a parallel uh, philosophy. Before that, we have 150 pages where he's speaking Greek and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, that's... <sighs> actually, yeah, it, that's the Dark Ages that you need to... <laughs> <laughs> dark Ages are, are chapter 11 through 15. <laughs> the Dark I... Ages are... Homeric heroicism. Real though. I, I think if I had to, if I were teaching an ethics class and I had to do like a TLDR of McIntyre, I would say read the first, what, like seven chapters and you then read eight. the last eight two. Eight is the chapter about Well, eight is, yeah, him, him styling on sociology. Yeah, that's, that's eight, right? Yeah, so read the first eight and then read the last like two or three. The thing that I truly love is as he's in chapter eight, you know, like just dunking on all these bad statisticians and sociologists is mm-hmm. I'm taking like an intro to stats class and like trying to learn what is math? Can I use it to discover truth? And that entire <laughs> meanwhile is like, nope. Nope. <laughs> Can't do nothing with it. <laughs> oh man. No, cool. I, I definitely enjoyed this. And despite I, 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 I'm walking out of it still not knowing what I feel. And I think I'll spend the next few years discerning that. So that's, that's oh, wait, I think a so- good thing. So you'll have like all your final opinions about things when you're like 23. That's awesome, dude. That's, That's how like that works. Most people. Oh yeah, no, he's ahead of the curve. No, I'll be I'll be like 25 in three years. So there's that. So I'm slow. I'm slowing down. Okay. Uh, 
and then I'll just I'll just write a book and then um you know call it like I don't know Saint Seraphim option where we just do <laughs> everything. <laughs> yes, that's the name of this episode. <laughs> the Saint Seraphim option. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, yes, <clears throat> but no, I don't know. It, it's gonna take a while to process this. All I know is I was looking through some papers I wrote from this last year of undergrad. And I realized that McIntyre was the author I cited the most by far. For the last two quarters, I cited him in like 95% of my papers. Nice. Broke, just because, just because it's so easy if you're you know, writing anything in politics or philosophy or whatever, when you're like, I need an extra 500 words to just tack on a paragraph of, oh, by the way, the modern experiment had to fail. And just <laughs> throw it in there. Well done. I have two comments on that. The first comment is uh, Dr. Henry would, would, would frown upon you, but also smile. I was, was going to say that Dr. Henry would... He, no, he would both smile as he shook his head and then gave me like an 80. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the one Steven, paper I didn't do it in was his. But Stephen, Dr. Henry's thing is that if you learn enough in one class that you can just cross-apply it to everything in college, then you haven't learned anything. Ooh, that's actually... Uh, I feel like that's a good point. And the the second comment that I had though was um, uh, for all of my English papers, I found this little quote in in uh, a uh, a book in in Oxford that allowed me to justify basically making whatever type of interpretive claim I wanted, and I just copy pasted that to like every single English essay that I wrote. Smart so. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I love college. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Uh, speaking of college, college is a place where people get very angry and upset because it's the real world, apparently, and everything is very high stakes. Speaking of high stakes, let's go to rants. Steven. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, buddy. Um, Let me think. Well, okay, so I have two I have two rants. I could your your thought on the the real world uh gave me gave me one of my my classic rants. I could go on college or I could go on the road by Cormac McCarthy. Wait, wait, I think, choose your own adventure, boys. Uh, I vote College. McCarthy. Turn to page 43. I don't have the book with me anymore. It looks like we're doing both, actually. Stephen, go. Double yeah, I'm going to do it really fast. First, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Brilliant book. Excellent. I um, A co-worker lent it to me on uh, you know a couple weeks ago. I finished up uh, uh, another book I was reading. Picked it up Friday. Could not put it down. I was, I was done within a couple of days. It was a brilliant book. Um, very very depressing. Uh, with With... Uh, with Canonical for uh, for Leibovitz as well as many other post-apocalyptic uh, novels, they're all predicated on the idea that humanity has at least a shot at reestablishing everything, at kind of building back with the road that is just not on the cards at all. Um, and he does a very good job at portraying two humans attempting to find hope where there is just simply no hope. Um, and does it in a very brilliant and endearing way that is still very difficult to, to go through it's very well done would highly recommend um very people will say it's a dark book and it certainly is it's a very dark piece of fiction but still has a few just little nuggets that, that kind of show a little gold in that darkness so i uh, would highly recommend and then my rent for college real world so what is the ontological meaning of real world when you when you apply that to saying that some certain experience is the real world or not the real world and i contend that college is indeed the real world you are if if anything uh so oftentimes especially the uh small christian college is uh kind of pointed to and said like oh no this is not the real world when you're out in the real world 
I would contend that it is more real than the quote unquote real world, given that it is at least attempting in its own way, however flawed it may be, to model the kingdom of God, uh, to to live out that that Christian experience. And in a platonic way, this this is a more real thing. The kingdom of God is far more real than anything else you will ever experience. And so I say to you, good sir, that is real. That's that's about that. I I have a whole essay I actually wrote on that, and I could I could just I could read it for days, but uh, but I won't subject you to. That. Honestly, we've we've brought up the college experience enough. We should do a mini episode just on college and the various ills and benefits that. Come I think with it. that would be entirely gratuitous. Uh, what's the word for like self-flagellating um, and <laughs> something else? Uh, but, uh, but penance. But but maybe. <laughs> But maybe, maybe. Actually, Stephen, you are far enough out of it that you actually would have some good opinions. I'm like a little bit out of it, and then Sam is still right in the mix of it. So I'm, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm not even done. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sam. Speaking of not being done, it's your turn yeah. for a rant. Yeah. Well, I forgot there were rants somehow. Um, did I give my Did I give my rant about American justice last week? I don't, I don't think, think so. You did. Cool. Um. American culture, as McIntyre referenced, is entirely flawed to its core in the way that it frames individuals as, or people, humans, as individuals, and forces them to basically will to power against one another. And no more is that clear than in the justice system. I've been going through an experience in um, an internship recently where I'm working in a, a court. The thing that's been most startling to to me as a, a personally is just the mechanization of justice on such a large scale. Um, I'm working in a family court, and so I can say that emotionally, an ex- extraordinarily painful experience is watching family discourse, family interactions, and very very broken si- situations mechan- um, mechanized, systematized, and then ultimately um, bureaucratized by by administrators, it's it, it totally removes any element of um, what it means to be an individual and what it means to create or to, to make people act in a virtuous way or to assist people in acting in a virtuous way. And so, I guess from this walking out of it, I'm seeing that this is just another another area where we are deeply flawed is in this system that pits individuals against one another and pits them against a higher government. And just the the amount of assumptions to get to that point that you have to make are entirely dehumanizing. Was that aggressive enough? That was pretty that was, aggressive. That was well said. I like that. I'm definitely going to play the, the Law and Order Special Victims Unit. <laughs> dun dun. Here, so. Well, please do. <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway. So, and I, I, I'm not sure if it's actually that bad. It's just personally watching it day in day out it's um it's a little draining we had to we actually my manager sat myself and another intern down and had us watch a ted talk about um secondhand trauma the other day because she's like you guys need to watch out for this because it's real hey man well i'm sorry you're having to deal with that but uh hopefully you will have uh some of the the tools of virtue that mcintyre has bestowed so graciously upon you Mm. I mean, in all seriousness, though, that does sound very sucky. Yeah. And that's not to say it's sucky. I, it's, I'm, I'm honestly very grateful for the opportunity, and it's, it, it, it is a good opportunity, a good view of, of that system, and especially in considering law school, I think it's a really valuable experience. But um, um, there is that con to it, is that you just kind of question our entire system of justice. Oof. Oof. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for my rant, sort of right along that, um, that serious note, uh, let's talk about Prime Day. Prime Day. Prime Day 2019. <laughs> Two days of sales and something that rhymes with sales. Anyway, it's great. Um, uh, but uh, with Prime Day, I, I have basically uh, zero interest. Uh, partially is because I just don't really like things. I don't really uh, accumulate stuff, which now that I think about it in like a consumerist society basically means I'm not really alive. Um, but whatever. <laughs> we uh, already all knew that. Yeah, we all knew that. Um, but also, I think because I, I lived in, in Africa playing with like bows and arrows and sticks and termite clay through all of high school, I kind of missed that like mall phase where you learn to like to shop. So that's that's uh, helpful, but also means I don't get to participate in the you know massive multiplayer online experience that is Prime Day. But anyway, like, why can't they do something like actually good? Just like give like fifty percent off of all of books and not like Kindle books, which are garbage, but like actual books. Um, I was looking on like their book section and literally nothing there. It's like two like trashy travel things and then like Brooch Co. For some reason, is super cheap. Do you guys? Brooch Co. What's that? I guys were, you, you guys were evangelical adjacent. It's like a uh, like a young Christian guy evangelical goes into the Brazilian rainforest and gets adopted by an undiscovered uncontacted tribe after like nearly dying a bazillion times. It, it's actually like a decent story, but okay. then the other one it is, that... is very interesting. And it's, I think it's a good exploration in um, like, if you're going to do cross-cultural outreach uh, in like a ministry standpoint, how you need to wear a loincloth is, is well, you need to wear a loin. Well, his point was you need to understand the culture in some way. Yeah. You need yeah. to engage the culture, change the world. Um, but this is still my rant. Yeah, and the do. other the 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 other book that was all, that was sort of on sale on on the Amazon page was um, the God Delusion. So my figure is that they're just kind of trying to hit all demographics. Um, my gosh, the God so Delusion! There are good atheist books out there. Give give the people some Mackie. Give them some Flu. Give them give them good atheists. Give them Nietzsche. Don't give them Dawkins. My goodness. I'm pretty sure Dawkins is the best. I I, I don't think there's anyone else. I saw this YouTube video where he just destroyed this college student. It was <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, Prime Day, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, That's my I'll, I'll say hi to him for you guys. <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, by, by oh, you could. Paul, where you're going, his house is nearby. Yeah, I, I know. Oh, you know that. Okay. Well, anyway. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they'll see me walk out of Wycliffe and just be like, and won't. So, well, yeah. Well, yeah, Wycliffe Hall is the Christian hall. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like the evangelical one. That that's not even a real college. It's just a hall. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Wow. Uh, yes, yes. Actually, this is very tangential. Probably going to be cut. Um, but one of the big scholar people there at at Wycliffe Hall, one of their top folks, is uh, a Bonhoeffer scholar. Um, but what's, but what's interesting is, and, and this was sort of before I was fully aware of the different sections of Christianity and their fights with each other. Um, mm. But uh, so there's the conservative uh, Bonhoeffer people who sort of claim him for their side. And I forget the guy, Eric Metaxas. Maybe? Metaxas. Yeah, he did the big yeah. biography of him. Who wrote the big biography. And then this guy wrote a counterbiography, which just interprets him in all his weirdness, which Metaxas ignores. And granted, Bonhoeffer was weird. I'm personally in the camp to just count him in, in, in the section where I just don't like him because of reasons. And he was weird. And he liked, um, oh, who's that that guy? Who had a bunch of mistresses? He was a theologian. The popes? No. <laughs> a couple centuries. Hey, your insults like three centuries too late. So. <laughs> Sorry, it's still too soon. It's still too soon.
All right. So, uh, any any final words of advice for our our broad listening audience as we finish up after virtue and potentially transition into a a new season of the problem with reading, season hey, two. For the record, I mean, we do still need to to go over the the postscript and the the index. Um, that can be a special episode after we do yeah. some regular article episodes, which uh, we need to figure out if we can even do this while Sam's in England. But that's a good point. That's a we'll good point. See. I I would say I I think if there's one takeaway, it's virtue is passed on both in a community and through a narrative. And I think with I think those are my two big takeaways from this is that virtue cannot be passed on or. Virtue cannot be practiced outside of a community and virtue cannot be pa- practiced uh, outside of a narrative. Yes. Sam? The, the, that is kind of my takeaway is the importance of virtue and how to pursue it. <clears throat> I I mean, you guys know that I am not incredibly well-versed in philosophy. I'm just, I'm just not. Um, and in reading McIntyre, I definitely am at least interested in the uh, virtue ethics narrative. So there's that. Virtue ethics is good. I think it's, even if you don't go full on Benedict, I think it's still a better way to live your life. Hmm. What about you, Brevin? I I think the aspect of McIntyre that I found most interesting was uh, a sense of sort of revitalizing my deadened, somewhat cynical view of uh, the study of English and literature. Um, I think McIntyre does it in a very good way, a very careful way, bringing up the importance of stories, narratives, literature, um, and also as those as the uh, the core stories of, of different um, cultures and sort of revealing the philosophy um, hidden within them. And, uh, you know, in undergrad English classes, you can get pretty cynical about stuff. But uh, I, I think there's a, there's a reason we have good books, and McIntyre helped remind me of why we read them. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that okay. as well as I... I... I enjoyed how he was able to dive into the narrative and not go full on narrative theory, mm-hmm. which is really important because good literature is good. Damn. Well said. Absolutely. All right. And on that note, uh, for everyone here at the problem with reading podcast, uh, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. And we will see you sometime in the indeterminate future. Practice some virtue. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. After virtue. Hold on, boys. Well, listen to the YouTube video, guys. Will do. It's very important. Oh, oh yeah. Let's. I want to kind of watch that right now, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's all let's all pull that up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I have it paused at zero seconds. Let me know when you guys start it. All right. Hold on. I need to get through an ad here. All right. I am ready to go. Three, two, Uh, give me one. one. No. Okay. I'm ready. Three, two, one. (laughs) This is all. This is already great. (laughs) <laughs> i love the white suit too oh i know right wow he he just looks heartless <laughs> he, re- he really does he looks, he looks like, like a serial around, killer like, breaking people's necks it's great <laughs>